Praise rising in this room. Come on, just lift your voice. Oh, Lord. 
was having a discussion with someone and we were just talking about all the things in life that are just surrounding us and all the things that are just kind of bombarding and that are coming at one time. How many have ever felt that way? Where you wake up one morning and all of a sudden just all the world is caving in. And we were just talking and I said, you know, there's times when all that happens and the only thing that we can do is just to stand. And I'm so thankful that not only can we stand, but we can stand on the firm foundation of the Word of God. That is the sword of the Spirit. Amen? So as we just end this time of worship, let's sing this with our praises lifted, with our hands raised, to say, God, when all else fails, when all else comes up against us, we know that we can stand because you are in control. You hold us in the palm of your hand and we lack nothing with you. Come on, so sing. So I'll stand with arms wasn't a plan for this morning, but I feel like God's in the room, and when there are needs in the room and God's in the room, I think we need to respond to that. So if you could be seated just for a moment. I know that with social distancing, um, we've had to change the way we do some things, but that doesn't hinder the power of God to touch the lives of people. One day this week, a pastor from, uh, from the city looking to build, a long story how I got acquainted with her, wanted to see our building and they're planning to build. And so we had a great time of just interacting. But when she walked in, she said, before we do anything else, can we pray? And I thought, we can (laughs) to look at a building. I'm not sure why that requires us to pray, but she said, my eyes have been bothering me all morning. And um, and I didn't know anything about her, her faith background but said, would you pray for me? And I said, absolutely. Laid hands on her and, and uh, God touched her. And by the time she left, she said, God has cleared my eyes. Thank you. And that's who we are, isn't it? Isn't that who we are? And so I'm going to embarrass a couple of people. Um, I hope not too much, but Charlie, I want you to stand. Would you do that? I just know that your physical battle has taken a turn and we're going to believe God for a miracle for you. And Patty Garland, where are you? I want you to stand up been fighting an ongoing physical battle. I believe the healing Jesus is in the house. I believe the healing Jesus is in the house. And if you need a miracle in your body, a physical healing right now, a physical healing, by his stripes, we are healed. That's not Assemblies of God doctrine. That's the word of God himself. And so if you need a healing touch, and I know this throws our timetable off and I don't really care, but 
Um, I want you to stand up right where I, you need a miracle healing touch from Jesus today. I want you to stand up. Come on. You need a miracle touch of healing. I want you to stand. Stand to your feet. You need a miracle touch in the balcony and in the chapel. If you'll stand right now, we're going to believe together for God's healing power. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a healing presence of God. And uh, we're going to believe for that this morning. Anyone else? You need a miracle of healing in your body right now. We're going to believe for you in Jesus' name. We're talking about love reigns. This is a manifestation of the reign of the, of the love of God. All right, I want you to look around. I don't want you to crowd their space. I don't want anyone to be uncomfortable. But in a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to stand and just stretch your hand towards someone that's standing. And if you're family, you can lay a hand on them. If you're family nearby, otherwise don't touch, just stretch a hand. All right? Look around, figure out who you're going to pray for, and let's all stand right now and let's begin to believe Jesus for a, for a manifest presence of healing. The healer is in the house this morning. Jesus said the healer is in the house this morning. Jesus, we come to you this morning standing on the promises of your word that you went to Calvary not just so our sins would be forgiven, but you also provided for us healing in your body by your stripes. We remember and we believe and we lay hold of the healing of Jesus for our physical bodies. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will also likewise quicken or make alive your mortal bodies. We're believing for that right now in Jesus' name. Healing in the name of Jesus. Infirmity and sickness, I curse you in the name of Jesus. I curse you in the name of Jesus. And I drive you out of this room in the name of Jesus. Let the healing virtue of Calvary flow into this place. Come on, church. Let's believe for that. I feel a moving of God's spirit in the house right now. Let's believe him right now. Lift your hands. Everyone in the house now, lift your hands and magnify him. Give him praise. Magnify him. Come on. Magnify him. He's worthy of praise. are yes and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We pray right now, Lord, that you come and anoint the rest of this service. 
Anoint your servant, oh God, as he brings your word. We thank you in your name we pray. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, I serve a powerful God. Amen. Yeah. Come on, let me hear your hands. Love reigns. We shared together on Easter Resurrection Sunday morning that love reigns over death, hell, and the grave. And last week, we talked about how love reigns over your past. While the best predictor of your future behavior is your past performance, we don't have to be defined by our past because in Jesus, we are all made new. How many are glad for that, that love reigns over your past? Well, this morning, this is the tough one because I think it's easier for love to reign over death, hell, and the grave and for love to reign over your past than it is for love to reign over your present. It's tough to really walk in love when we understand what that means. Reigning over our past is a blessing we receive Reigning over our present is a discipline we practice. I'm going to say that again. That was good stuff. You should write that down. <laughs> Reigning over our past is a blessing we receive. Reigning over our present is a discipline that we practice. 1 Corinthians 13 is widely known as the love chapter. It is almost always, or I should say at least on a regular basis, cited at the wedding ceremony, what love is. And 1 Corinthians 13 isn't really a definition of love as much as it is a description of love. It tells us what love looks like and how love behaves. And when you think about how it starts, I want you to listen to the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, 
but have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. It's a portion of scripture. How many of you have heard that before? If you've been in the United States and in church anywhere for any length of time, you're going to hear that referenced in some fashion or another, how important love is. At the end of the chapter, it says, now abides these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So it would seem to me that if we're going to walk in the hope and blessing of the resurrection, that we really need to pause and begin to think about what it looks like if love reigns over my everyday living. Now, there's an interesting play on words here that happens in the first three verses. There's a Greek word, pas, or in this form, panta, which means all, and it's used four times in those first three verses. All mysteries, all knowledge, all faith, all my goods. And I don't think that it is accidental that in the first three verses, when it talks about all things that lack without love, that in verse 7, that same word is used additionally four times to tell us what love looks like when it reigns in our lives. The King James says it this way, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. That word all is giving us the solution to satisfying the lack at the beginning of the chapter. And what is that lack? And what is the solution? The lack is our ability to walk in love our inability to walk in love. The answer is God's ability to have love reign over our lives. And what we need to have happen is that the love of God must be shed abroad in our hearts because we still deal with a human nature. I was telling my wife this morning and then was talking to a, a couple as, as they came in how easy it is for me to um, imagine an argument that's coming. <laughs> Any of you? Yes. Oh, no, Pastor, we don't think that way. We're sanctified. <laughs> if they say this, then I'm going to say this. And then they'll say this, and then I'm going to say this. Then they'll say this, and I'm going to punch them square in the mouth. Anybody know what I'm <laughs> talking about? You begin to develop this whole thing. And I'm sitting there this morning. I'm not going to tell you what it was in relationship to, except that it wasn't in regard to any of you or Berean, but another responsibility that I'm in. And I, I got myself all worked up. I thought, I mean, I was ticked off and nothing had happened. <laughs> What's the key to that? It isn't, listen, it isn't natural for you to walk in love. It requires the supernatural for you to walk in love. Because our nature is contrary to that. And I don't care who you are. First church I pastored, we had an older lady. I think she was about 140. 
and she looked 140 since she was 20. You know, have you met people like that? I mean, she was, and just this little squeaky voice, and she was um, just so sweet, and thought she probably never gets mad at anybody, and then she started talking about her daughter and a son-in-law, and she said, you know, I thought what I'd really like to do to him is shoot him in the knee. Where did that come from? I'm wondering if she's packing at that moment. How do I need to watch what I have to say? I don't want to get shot in the knee. It's not natural for us to truly walk in love in those areas. So how can we do that? How does love reign in our lives? How do we get in the place that it bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things? Well, let's, let's explore that for a little bit. Are you ready to go on the journey with me? And let's just kind of see how that unpacks if the hope of Easter is going to be real in us and we're going to walk in love. And I'm, and I'm going to suggest to you that if there ever was a time, and we say that because it's the only time we live in, but if there ever was a time that the church needed to manifest love, it's today. It's today. I've never been as concerned in my life about saying something that is ethnically inappropriate. The divisions are greater than they've ever been. And one of the things that has happened that I'll reference here in a little bit is the cultural shaping that we haven't really considered from quarantine and from COVID that will be with us for years to come. And that isn't a healthy position that people are holding today. And with our division and our fear and our distrust, the church has to learn to walk in love. Why? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Not by your doctrinal purity. Not by signs and wonders. Not by your faithful church attendance. Not by your tithing. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. Have you ever lived in a time when it was ever, whether it was any more cheap than it is today for someone to say, I love you. It is so easy to say that. It's a whole other thing to walk in it. So with this description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, tells us that there are four things that love always is, that it always does. And that's what we are going to explore this morning. Number one, in the NIV, it says it this way, love always protects. It bears all things. And now I'll be truthful with you. I've, I've struggled with that. Love always protects. Love bears all things. Because I know that if you're constantly covering up the wrong that someone does, you enable them rather than helping them. And this word bears all things or protects really means to cover with a roof, a roof of silence, to endure, to forbear, to bear up under. And in a different context, here's how the word gets used in Thessalonians. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, it's the opposite of that word, when I could stand it or bear up no longer, I sent to find out your faith. He was saying, I've carried this load, and when it got too heavy, I couldn't carry it anymore. I had to do something different. It's that idea that it, that it carries, that it covers, that it protects. How in the world do we make sense of that? Well, I was asking God to help me, and I thought, every parent knows what this is like. Every parent knows. 
how many of you would be willing to admit that at some time in the parenting years when your children were young, they said something that broke your heart even though you um, even knew that they didn't understand the ramifications of what they've said. Come on. Yeah, and what do you do? You bear up under it. You understand that they don't understand that and you don't react to them in the way that they've reacted. How many parents have had the story where a child says, I hate you. As a parent, I hope you have never ever said that to a child and that you go back and fix that and repent if you have. But probably many, many parents have heard a child say, I hate you. And you know that they don't really understand the ramifications of that. And you know how that stabs your heart. What does love do? It bears up under that. I don't allow their response to negatively impact my love. I cover it. I bear up under it. Is that making any sense at all? They say things that you just think, you have no idea how bad this hurts. How many parents have cried in the night over some silly, stupid, mean thing that a child said that you know they didn't know what they meant? I don't want to live here anymore. I wish you weren't my parents. I wish you were dead. Now, if they're 16... You need to deal with them. But when they're younger, they say things that they don't understand the ramifications. Love bears up under that. So that, is there a biblical example of what that really means to cover it and bear up under it? And I think the best illustration of this term is the story of Joseph and Mary. We read the story of Joseph and Mary through the lens of knowing that what was conceived in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it's easy to judge a person's decision based on knowledge you have after the fact, but you need to judge a person's decision based on the knowledge they had at the time. You can't make a decision based on what you will later know. You can only make a decision based on what you do know. Hello? Are you with me? This is an important piece to grab hold of. Say, well, later they found out. doesn't matter what they found out later. What they knew at the moment is how you evaluate the decision they made in the moment. Joseph did not know that the Holy Spirit had birthed or conceived a baby inside of Mary. All he knew when Mary came to her, to him, all he knew is that the love of his life, his bride-to-be, was pregnant outside of wedlock. What did he do? He had every right to divorce her with public disgrace. He could have said to anyone who would listen, yeah, you think she's sweet little Mary, but she's a tramp. I just found out she's pregnant and she doesn't even know who it is. How many guys does she have to be with to not know who it is? Are you hearing what I'm saying? He could have blown her up. But what does love do? Love bears up and covers in this way. Not willing to put her to open disgrace. What did he do? He covered her. But he didn't ignore what he understood at that moment. What he understood at that moment to be sin, he didn't ignore it either. He was going to put her away privately. So love will deal with the infraction with the mindset that it protects. When you say, I hope you get what's coming to you, that's not love. 
that's something else. Love wants to cover, wants to protect, not excusing anyone's sin or removing the consequence, but responding to um, getting them in a place where they can be helped. Similar thing is said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins, which means to hinder the knowledge of a thing. So when you love someone and they do something stupid or they make a mistake, your first response, if you love, isn't to say, we've got to make sure everybody knows about this. No, you want to protect Love will cover. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over wrongdoings. And the greatest way to cover sin is in James chapter 5, verse 20. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. When they turn to Jesus and his blood covers, do you know what people who love do? they reinforce that covering. They don't uncover it. They don't broadcast it. They don't make sure everybody knows, but they want to protect. It's protecting and bearing up under. So you keep loving them anyway without ignoring that action has to be taken. But if you delight in the action to be taken, you're not loving. You want to do everything you can to help. Does that make sense at all? Is anybody with me this morning? It's a tough place to be. Human nature isn't like that at all. Human nature wants revenge. There have been some great men in the news that did great things for God. And I could talk to you about the scandal around Bill Hybels. I could talk to you about the scandal around Ravi Zacharias, both men that I looked up to. I could talk to you about a number of scandals. And what frustrates me are believers who say, well, everybody needs to know and they need to pay and we need to burn all their books and they have no value. That's revenge. That's revenge. Love covers, doesn't ignore, but it tries to protect. And it's human nature to want to get even, to make sure that everyone knows that someone pays for their wrongdoing. Love doesn't want exposure or pain as the final destination, but wants to protect to lead to restoration. You hear what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying to you that it can't ever be public. Sometimes for public safety. Let's suppose. Oh, let me just go ahead and do this. Is that okay? And do this. Let's see. I may as well just make you really irritated with me today. I have people ask me from time to time about the sex offender registry. And do we know who all the sex offenders are in a church? No. Because it's not the ones who are on the registry I worry about. It's the ones that haven't been caught yet. So you have to have policies in place. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But suppose there was a sex offender that was attending our church. Had that happen? 
um, a previous church that we pastored, a guy started coming and a guy was wanting to get involved with kids ministry and he had great ideas for kids ministry just early in his involvement at the church and we were doing an outdoor event and he wanted to help with that. And then someone came to me and said, I want to talk to you privately and told me what he'd been accused of. And then I met with him and said, look, I can't have you there because of, of the accusation, even though he had never been caught or, or, or um, convicted, there was enough evidence to pull back from that. But what I didn't do was put it on the bulletin or put a big red SO on his forehead because wherever you've fallen, while some sins are certainly more heinous, some sins are more heinous, they're not the same. Our heart should be that every fallen individual has an opportunity to get right with Jesus. Amen. That's what love does. And we'll find a way not to cover so you can hide, but to try to cover in order to get you to a place of health. I hope you can see that fine line of distinction. Joseph didn't cover it up, but he put her away privately. Our human nature is somebody is going to pay. We need to expose them. This needs to be on the front page. That's the accuser of the brethren. That's the heart of the enemy. Love, what does love do? It always bears up. It always seeks to protect while it's administering discipline. Parents know this full well. The, <laughs> the Bible says not to spare the rod because in their crying they shall not surely die. <laughs> What's the difference? When you punish a child, you do that to help them. And you don't, you don't take an ad out in the paper and here are all the stupid things my kid has done. But you protect and punish at the same time. And if you punish wanting to injure them. Hello? In your anger. That's not love. But we do that to each other. We're so angry we want to injure them rather than want to help them. And love refuses to do that. We got three more to go. <laughs> How many are with me? I'm talking about walking in love. This is not easy stuff. You want him to reign over your past, he needs to reign over your present. All right, second, love always trusts. Oh, dear Jesus, can we just stop the message now? <laughs> love always trusts. I am by nature a skeptic. And I'm going to give you a little of my testimony. When Carol and I first got married, I had to struggle with a number of things. And one of those was I didn't trust anybody because everyone I had been close to found a way to stab me in the back. And I'm not paranoid about it. I can show you the stories, how I was betrayed by parents. I was betrayed by a family that invited me to live with them to get me out of the situation I was living in and then challenged my credentials to the network office. It's like, why would you do that? Everyone that I was close to stabbed me in the back. And so my nature is, I will trust you when you prove it because I already know you're going to want to betray me. How many know how unhealthy that is? I'm not living in that place today or I wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> but in my early formative years, so here's in this bearing up under, when I graduated from Bible college, I told the Lord I'd go anywhere in the world 
uh, except back to my hometown, Cedar Rapids. They could all go to hell. I didn't want to go back there. Come on, how many know what I'm saying here? I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't want to go back there. That's not what I wanted to do. I had an opportunity to go to Texas. That would have been great. I had an opportunity to go to a large church in Indiana. That would have been great. And then I had an invitation to come back to my home church, which wasn't great. And then I made a big mistake. I started to pray about it. And, and it wouldn't lift off of me. You're going back home. And I thought it was because I was going to help them. It was because I had unfinished business in love that had to be taken care of. Are you still with me right now? And I'll never forget that first Mother's Day. Now, you have to understand the ways that I was injured, and I'm 20 years old, um, and I am carrying wounds that I grew up with, and I can lay them all out there. Let's just leave it that I was wounded. Can you just accept that? I don't want to go into the gore. And I had no intention of calling my mom on Mother's Day. Tell you the truth, I didn't think she deserved a call from me. And if I never had to interact with her again at that place in my journey, I'd have been satisfied. Anybody hearing me? Some of you walked where I've walked. And I walked in on Sunday morning. Pastor Booth met me. Now, you have to understand, he's 6'2", looks like he's 7'2", and weighed probably at that time 350 pounds. Like he could grab me by the head and just pop it. He said, did you call your mother and wish her a happy Mother's Day? And I said, no. He said, are you going to? I said, not likely. He looked me in the eye and said, you will call her and wish her a mother's, happy Mother's Day before you come back tonight. He didn't ask me. He said, you will. And I thought, I can get another job. I'm just telling you, it's not, this thing isn't easy. And I had to learn something in that moment. And I called her and talked to her. She was shocked that love has to move beyond its pain so that it can bear up and it can continue to love. And one of those areas of love is being able to trust people before they prove themselves. Love trusts. It doesn't live paranoid. Love always trusts. Now, let me talk to you about how COVID has affected us. The word trust means to place confidence in someone. I read an article this week that was titled, I do not trust people in the same way, and I don't think I ever will again. And it was subtitled, Workers are really, really not ready for offices to reopen. This is a current last week article. Let me read to you what some of the workers are saying as we're getting back to some semblance of normalcy across the country and as offices and businesses are opening back up. I do not trust people or institutions in the same way, and I don't think I ever will again. Even as we go back to normal, and since much of the world is not yet vaccinated, it's not even close to being over yet, I will not forget how our societies treated vulnerable people and essential workers as expendable, minorities as scapegoats, facts and public health as suggestions or lies. I'm going to pause there. I'm not saying their perception is accurate. I'm saying it's their perception. And this person is responding according to the narrative that's been shaped by a media agenda. Okay, are you with me? But it doesn't change the impact. They believed the media narrative and that has shaped their response. Someone else said, even when things are as 
safe as possible, there's a sense that we've been torn apart. Another person said, maybe I was naive, but I always assumed in a crisis we'd come together as a society and have each other's back. It's been over a year of being proven wrong about that over and over again, knowing that people I serve at work and the ones I run into in my life may or may not be willing to throw me overboard for their own personal benefit and comfort, and that makes it hard for me to be around people. Wow. I feel differently about how I view the world and how much I want to interact with it. And I need to work on that, but I think the impact of this will linger. And last one, I felt like I've been taking the crazy pills. The way some of our staff has reacted to my three-month warning that we'll be reopening the office at the start of June, I'm impressed. We have held it together this long, but it has been a lot of work, and we just can't afford to keep paying fees for missing things and losing time for development and training. I'm the one taking crazy pills because I'm trying to get back to normal. I'm saying that the cultural fallout of quarantine and isolation is a growing level of distrust. The argument that we started off at, in the church, and please hear me, we made at the very beginning, many churches in America at the very beginning made a public health issue, a religious rights issue. And as we fought over those issues, we have lost credibility in the community and we've lost the ability for people to trust us and that growing level of distrust, the way that we have talked about each other and responded to each other, even in Christian circles, has caused us to be in a place that they look us askance and say, you're no different than the people I work with in the office. I'm talking to us now. Now, always trusting does not mean you're a dupe or naive or undiscerning. It does mean that you believe in the other person. You don't write them off and throw them under the bus, but you count them as being worthy of being loved and that there is a better future ahead for them. These things I write to you that believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, that's that word trust, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Ever ready to believe the best, that you want to believe the good about people, not looking for the bad, an attitude of heart that looks for the positive to grab hold of. And all of us have warts and scars and bruises. And we can all pick each other apart. And I can find a hundred reasons not to trust any of you. But love doesn't do that. Love doesn't excuse the mistakes and the warts. I'm not saying you're not an idiot. You know, a person that lies to you is going to lie to you again. So what do you do with that? You write them off and let them go to hell. No, you keep trusting that there's a way to unlock the key to their heart and find a place to move them forward. You don't make excuses for them. You don't accommodate them and you don't enable them. But you trust that God's still at work in them. And there is something worth reaching in them, even when they have wounded you deeply. Are you, are you still with me? <laughs> How many are ready for this to be done? <laughs> I know I am. It trusts. Some scholars believe this is why Paul calls the church to not take each other to court. Believers should be able to trust each other. Two Christians should never sue each other. 
You say, well, what about, you know, there's a car accident and insurance pays, and I get that. I understand that there's some legal things that do involve lawsuits that are out of our control. But if you and I, Barry, if you and I have a dispute, we ought to trust each other enough to sit down at a table and work that out because I trust you and you trust me and we've got a problem between us, but we're going to fix it because we trust each other as being valuable, not trusting everything you've done or I've done, not believing everything that you've done or I've done is okay, but we trust trust each other enough to enter into dialogue to fix the problem. How many are hearing me now? Yeah. It trusts. It trusts. And if you can't be trusted, you're not in the household of faith. Love always trusts. It always looks, always believes there's something in that person that is worthwhile. There's, I trust that there's a way to reach them. I trust that they can be helped. I trust that there's something valuable in them that God wants to bring out of them. But human nature is distrustful. We begin to look for reasons not to trust. I... Um, there was a series, I was trying to think of the name, should probably have looked it up, but I think it was called Lie to Me or something, and it was all based on micro-expressions so that you could tell when someone was lying. I loved that show. <laughs> but you know what that'll do? It'll be watching your eyes. Uh, I saw that. I saw that micro. You, you're lying to me, aren't you? That's not the life of the believer. We're not looking to catch someone in a lie. We're looking to trust the relationship that will enable us to get through the dilemmas. It's easy to distrust. It's easy to be skeptical. It's easy to say you can't trust anybody. I, <laughs> I got invited once to a graduation ceremony to celebrate a graduate who never went to the school. Yeah, so do you trust them? I trust there's something valuable in that person. Something that can be reached, a door that can be unlocked. Doesn't mean I trust them to hold my wallet. I'm not talking about being a dupe. I'm talking about there's something to trust. <laughs> well, this has taken a long time. Third, third, love always hopes. It means to wait with joy and confidence, looking forward to a better end. Hopes for the best while prepared for the worst. I said it, hopes for the best while being prepared for the worst. Romans chapter 8 says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen <coughs> is no hope at all. And right there, what I did right there, coughed. How many have had to deal with COVID? I was playing racquetball the other day, <laughs> and one of the guys coughed, and the other guy said, was that a dry cough? <laughs> we all want, no, we all wanted him out of the court. I'm telling about the level of distrust. Are you feeling what I'm talking about? That has risen, that will cause us to not trust anybody, and you can't be in a healthy relationship with someone that you can't trust. So I'm not saying everybody is worthy of locking arms with. No, there has to be consequences when trust is violated and broken. But you keep trusting that something good is going to come out of this present dilemma. You keep trusting something good. 
Our hope is that all men and women will come to faith, that God will do whatever it takes to bring them to a place of surrender. Hope does not always manifest the outcome we desired. Listen to this. Hope does not always manifest the outcome that we desired, but hope allows us to rest in the assurance that God will work all things together for our good. So while hope, let's walk back through this, love always trusts, the human nature can be distrustful, bleeds over to the third one, love always hopes, and salvation is that ultimate end that we hope for a better outcome. And you can't get there without some level of trust. Hope does not take failure as final. Hope is in God. And that hope will be glorified. Let me, let me talk to you about hope. When it comes to funerals, um, we, we had through Drift, and I don't know who asked this, asked about people who are mentally incapacitated. How can that be a sin if they commit suicide? Let me just, let me just clarify a couple of things here. I don't ever want to take hope away from anyone because I'm not the final judge. And I don't know what happened between that spirit and God in those final seconds. All right? So I'm going to give you a little, bit of a, a little bit of my journey with my father and learning to hope. My father um, walked, had an had a incredible conversion experience, changed him so much that at work they called him Honest Abe. Because he quit smoking, he quit cussing, he quit drinking, he quit all the habits, he quit his life. Old, here comes old honest Abe. And then, process of events, he went right back into that lifestyle. And I'll never forget, I'm in Bible college, I'm sitting in his apartment, and most of the time when I saw him during that stage, he was drunk. One night I had to take a knife away from him and matches because he's threatening to kill my mom and blow up the truck. I mean, that's where I lived. And so I went to see him, most of the time he was drunk. And I said to him, Dad, you know, you knew Jesus at one time. And you're trading it all for a few years of pleasure on earth. And he looked me in the eye and my dad said, I will trade a few years of pleasure on earth for an eternity in hell any day of the week. Wow. I left broken, but still hoping. Then a time came that my Dad, there was an explosion at work, and he had to go to have his eye repaired at Iowa City. And then he had a number of other issues that he went through, and he dealt with what he called heartburn for several weeks, heartburn that would increase when he walked and quit when he stopped. Do you know what you call that? A blockage. I saw on the um, test where they put the dye in and watch it go through your system, where the dye hit a 100% blockage that should have killed him, and it somehow caught off, and this does happen, created its own natural bypass that kept him alive. He went in for surgery and ended up needing seven bypasses. They were only able to do four. And I said, God, give me a chance to talk to my dad. Give me a chance to talk to my dad. Everybody's in the room. Everybody's there. And I, I know I, I, it's just not going to happen. And once they give you the drugs, it's going to be done. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, I see green men in the room, you know. So there was a moment. I don't even know how this happened. I'm in the room. 
Nobody is there except my dad and I. And I heard God say to me, I gave you what you wanted. Now wake up and do something. I had about less than two minutes with him. And I said, Dad, how's it between you and Jesus? He said, I've made everything right. Between me and Jesus, I have peace with God. Well, I'm rejoicing. And then he came out of surgery and went back into his old way of life. I'll never forget when somebody in La Crescent, Minnesota, knocked on his door to invite him to a new church plant, and he called me and read me the right act. He said, I don't know who you called, but don't you dare send any more church people to my door. Dear Jesus, where did that come from? That wasn't an oath. I mean, Jesus, where? give me insight here. I have no idea what that's about. We got into a huff, and he slammed the phone down, and I slammed the phone down in the day that you could slam phones down. <laughs> We've lost something in America with cell phones. There was something therapeutic, wasn't there, about going, <laughs> anybody know what I'm talking about, you know? That trimline phone could make a lot of noise when you slammed that baby down. And from then on, we, there was no opportunity to talk about faith. And I did say to him that day, I said, Dad, you can say what you want to me. But I didn't send them there. But you watch your grandson and my son die with his faith firmly in Jesus Christ. And you can't walk away from that. That's kind of when he slammed the phone down. I don't know. When my dad died, he had a stroke. My, uh, it would be his wife wouldn't let me come to see him. When he died, wouldn't let us come and refused to have a funeral and made us stay away. Of everything that he owned, I got a belt buckle and a plastic truck. Now here's what I'm saying to you, what do you believe? Based on external evidence, my dad died and went to hell. But I'm living with hope that I'm gonna see him again. That in those, That in those closing moments, he saw my son die and said, I want to be with him and took the hand of Jesus. That's what I believe. Because love, with all of the pain and anger and hurt and wound, I never stopped loving him. Never heard him ever say it back to me. But I never stopped loving him. And I will hope. I will hope for a better outcome. I will not let go of hope. And I will not take hope away from you. Because love always hopes for a better end. It refuses to accept the declared outcome. Fourth, love always perseveres. It means to endure bravely and calmly, to bear up, to not quit. There is great power in endurance. You know, that's why the old <laughs> traditional marriage vows, I think, still have merit today. And you can mock them if you want. And I get, you know, we do all kinds of things with marriage vows today. And, and I love you. And you're the flower of my life. And you're the Gibraltar of my soul. And, you know, we're going to show you a brand new world on the carpet ride. And, you know, it's just going to be amazing. Yeah, that's great. But somewhere in there, somewhere in there, you have to say this. Not in those words, but you have to say this. 
for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I will love you because love perseveres. Anybody can love in the good times, but that commitment isn't as long as they're riding the carpet ride, I'll love you. No, it's when the carpet falls apart from moths and we can't fly anymore. I will still love you. Are you hearing me this morning? Love perseveres. You don't fall out of love, you choose to quit loving. And a marriage commitment is one that says, I love you. And here's the commitment I have to you. Whatever you say to me, and this is hard for me right now with some people in my life in a ministry relationship, not here at at Berean, that I have to love even when I don't want to. Love perseveres. Love reigns over my life means I have to love people that I don't like. We weren't allowed to say I hate you when I was a kid growing up. But more than once I've said to my sisters, I don't like you very, 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 very much. You get slapped for saying hate you. But you could say I don't like you very with as many varies as you wanted in there. I can love people I don't like because love perseveres. Well, it may, uh, what is human nature? Our human nature is to cancel people. And oh, are we living in that day? Are we living in that day of a canceled culture? We've just even made it a cultural thing that someone makes a mistake and you write them off and they're done forever. And it doesn't matter what they did 30 years ago. If you can find something on them, you cancel them out and they no longer have value. That's the way of the world and it's the way of human nature. But the church rejects a cancel culture because we have a redeeming Christ. Come on, we have a redeeming Christ. Human nature cancels people out. But love always perseveres. It endures all things. You say, Pastor, this is impossible. Oh, believe me. You think it's bad this morning. I've had to live with this all week. (laughs) But Romans chapter 5 says this. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I'll just tell you what I have to do when someone gets under my skin. Not that it happens, but in case, thank you, in case it does, Jesus, old, uh, I hate to say any name because someone's got it. Old uh, Mr. Blank. It's like the, the woman said about her husband. She's so mad. She said, I wish I could kill him and tell God he died. I don't like this person. And I don't want to like them. And I'd like you to put them out of my misery. Hello? But I need a miracle right now. And I'm going to tell you what works for me. In those moments when I begin to pray in tongues, all of that, all of that flesh begins to wash out 
when the love of God begins to pour in and I can keep loving and come out of there a different person, not because they deserve it, but because love never fails. Does it mean, what does that mean? It's, it means that love never stops being effective. It means to fall away or cease efficacy. Love never stops being effective. Well, I want love to reign over death, hell, and the grave. I want love to reign over my past, but I'm going to have to think about today. No, he wants love. In this world, I hope you're hearing what I'm trying to say. In this world, love, true biblical love is countercultural. And it needs to reign in us. So here's, I'd ask you to raise your hand if you need help, but anyone that didn't raise their hand is a liar. We all need help, right? We all need help. We need the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Would you stand? And let's take a minute and say, love of God. I need you to rain down on me. And maybe, (laughs) maybe you need to lift that person or that event or that circumstance to him right now. But let's believe the love of God. How many will join me? Flood this place with love right now. Dear Jesus, flood this place with your love.
be people who walk in, who practice the biblical character of love. Reign in our hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning.